Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. I got a booster shot. Holy crow. That must be sweet living in a country where like people refuse to get vaccinated. And so like your only hope is to get booster shots to protect you. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It was it was actually um, pretty cute. I went to a place uh, that is run by a community church. So uh, I, I get there. And the pastor, he's got his phone out and he's kind of like recording everybody. And he's like, and I'm just saying to, 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 to my congregation, please come look at all these wonderful people. He walks up to me <laughs> and he's like, you're not afraid of a booster, right? You're not afraid of a vaccine. Uh, he didn't say booster. He said, you're not afraid of a vaccine. And I said, uh, no. He's like, what is this, your first, your second? And I was like, this is my booster. And he goes, oh, my God, she's getting a booster. You can get your first. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like, oh, wow. yes, but also, oh, no. So anyway, there's a lot of uh, great community folks trying to combat a lot of what the misinformation has done here in the United States. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's kind of necessary out here. Yeah. Yeah. And it and it certainly seems that the data out of Israel and the United Kingdom, so two places, uh, Israel with a very high vaccination rate, but then a huge surge in cases, and then the UK with a lower vaccination rate, but also a huge surge in cases, that this vaccine really seems to be a three-dose vaccine, just like the hep B vaccine and others. So that feels pretty hopeful that we've managed to probably have found that formula that's going to work and keep us protected in the long term. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's a three dose, maybe it's a tetanus, maybe it's a flu shot, you know, like who knows how many we'll actually need. But I'm just glad that there's that it's out here. And I uh, reiterate my concern around that not being a universal situation. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge problem. And of course, in Canada, they're unrolling it by age. And so there's a lot of activism from people who are saying that it also needs to take disability into consideration and so solidarity with those folks. Um, but definitely watch the news to see when you might be eligible for a for a booster. I know for me it's going to be quite some time, but, you know, today the child vaccines arrived in Canada, so I'm kind of just good with that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they did. And we have some things to say about that. But before we do, uh, some announcements maybe, some people to thank. What do we got? Yes, I have a couple of announcements first, and then we have some people to thank. So the first thing is, I've mentioned this before, but I really do hope that if you are interested in hearing about uh, organizing and feminism specifically in the digital age, you check out my new podcast. You can find it uh, at Take Back the Fight podcast. Just search that and you'll get to either Fernwood's website, the publisher, or you'll find the Harbinger Media Network, or you can go to norloretto.ca and then you can listen to it. We're probably going to also air a couple of episodes when we go into holidays um, in a couple of weeks. So watch out for that. But you can definitely catch the first five episodes are already out. And I encourage you to do that. Announcement number two. I've been involved with something that is going to be formally launched in the next couple of weeks, but you don't have to wait for the formal launch. If you have ever thought, man, I'm a settler in Canada or my family came to Canada under forced circumstances, but still I want to show solidarity to the indigenous people of this land and you've never really known how to do that. Well, you should check out patreon.com slash pay your rent. That is pay 
your rent as a settler living in Canada, paying Indigenous people the rent that you owe. Now, we're planning to expand this program to be national. And in this program, the way that it works is that settlers pay, uh, they, they, they subscribe a monthly rate. And it goes down from, you know, a buck fifty. that would be the colonizer rate, <laughs> all the way up to, you know, ally or accomplice at $33.50 a month. Of course, you can go even higher if you want to do that. And we'll be distributing this money um, through Indigenous grassroots organizations to, to reach people directly in $100 grants. The grants can be for anything. Um, it's just, you know, making sure that there's money flowing from the settler side to Indigenous people. So you can sign up now. And if you want more information, um, watch that space, pay your rent at Patreon, and you will find out when we officially launch. Cool. Do we have some folks to thank as well? Yes. Speaking of people who subscribe to stuff on Patreon, <laughs> we have a lot of thanks <laughs> to give out tonight, today, depending on whatever you're listening, at this very moment inside your ears. This week, we have to say so much thanks to Shannon, Victoria, May, and Jamie. Thank you so much for your donations to the podcast, and thank you to everybody who listens, donates, and shares with everybody that they know. We really appreciate it. So I also just want folks to know, um, if you haven't been paying attention to uh, news in Iqaluit, and I hope that you have been because, you know, we, we've been trying to let you folks know about what's going on with the water, but there is uh, something else that's been going on um, that hasn't gotten a lot of news. High school students have organized walkouts and, in fact, took over the legislative building last week. And that was about uh, the suicides, youth suicides, um, that have been happening in their community. And so there's another protest that is planned for November 25th. And I hope that folks are paying attention to this. These youth are really doing some amazing organizing to force people to pay attention um, to this crisis and to force governments to act. And the fact that we haven't seen much about it in the news is atrocious. And uh, if those of us who do see it, if we spread that around and make sure that the news uh, can't ignore it, let's help these young folks out in their organizing and in their mission to stop this crisis. Yeah, awesome. Solidarity with those students. And thank you for raising that. Mm -hmm. This is an episode where for the first time in a couple of weeks, it's felt like there's been a lot of news. And so a we're going to try to <laughs> cycle through. Um, a couple of different issues, but I think that this probably is an episode that's appropriately titled British Columbia on fire. Oh, wow. You're titling it already. Well, I think that'll help. And then we can come back to the actual topic because we got other stuff to talk about before that. Yeah, for sure. So we, I mentioned that we wanted to say a little something about these vaccines that are arriving in Canada as uh, today, which is, I mean, the day we're recording is Sunday. Um, seems to be a good news story. People seem to be pretty happy about it. It is a good news story for the most part. There are some concerning things, though. Um, how are these vaccines being rolled out, Nora? <laughs> yes. So I just read an article about this. So perhaps uh, listeners have read what I'm about to say, but perhaps you have not. 
There seems to be no interest in Canada outside of Quebec to deliver these vaccines within classrooms. And so the vaccines will become available in, depending on where you're located, in public health clinics or in pharmacies, so private locations, the private doctor's offices or whatever. And you'll have to, I guess, pull your kids out of school, get yourself an appointment, hope that you can get your two kids, your three kids, your four kids done at the same time and get them back into school. It it just seems like extremely inefficient considering that one, we need to be targeting communities that have the highest rates of COVID right now because they are actually exactly superimposed over the rates of the highest numbers of children in a community, um, which is not surprising because children right now are bastions of COVID because they can't get vaccinated. Um, and then there's, of course, uh, the rates of higher transmission in general in communities in Canada, and they should have been targeted towards kids in schools in those communities. Does not seem like that's going to happen. And it is such a shame because when you look at Quebec, where they've been planning for two months now to unroll this in the schools, I suspect they'll be going first to the schools that have the biggest outbreaks. And we've got a couple in Quebec City that are that are like quite on fire. It just seems so inefficient. Like, Sandy, have we like actually learned literally nothing over the last 22 months? It is as though, I mean, Nora, you and I were talking about this just before the show. It's as though history doesn't exist, <laughs> you know, like so <laughs> much of our vaccine programs in Canada are delivered through school. So if the infrastructure is already there, why would you turn to a private company to take care of this for you? Oh, maybe because you've uh, been had by these private companies throughout the entire uh, pandemic. Perhaps that has something to do with it. But it just seems so ridiculous. I mean, I was in class and one of my classes, we were talking about uh, vaccines um, and uh, in this particular class that I'm in, there are a lot of international students, students from uh, Austria, from uh, Mexico, from Brazil. And we were talking specifically about um, the measles vaccine and the HPV vaccine. And, uh, you know, most of the students who were international had gotten their vaccines in a classroom. And the students from the U.S., um, a lot of them had not received these vaccines. And it was just this, uh, well, not some measles, more uh, more folks had received the measles than HPV. But it was just this weird conversation where people were like, how did you get it in a classroom? And um, as the Canadian in the room, you know, bridging the worlds, I was like, uh, oh, this is a public education issue, obviously. <laughs> uh, if the if the government is sponsoring it through public education, then that's uh, it makes sense to give vaccines for people who are school age in the classroom. And uh, it's just it, it's really stunning to me that it, it's it's though history doesn't exist. We're starting things all anew. And as a result, we can be exploited by companies uh, hoping to make a buck from the pandemic. And that really, really sucks. Mm -hmm. And before, you know, folks uh, come at this and say, well, you know, um, it's not like they're charging it. That, that's not what I mean. You know, like the, the governments are either giving a stipend to the to the to these uh, corporations to administer this. Um, but also if it's in a place like, say, Shoppers Drug Mart, um, uh, who in Ontario got a lot of contracts from the government and people are going in, they're expecting them to buy things as a result of going in. There's all sorts of ways that a private company benefits from having these sorts of contracts um, from the government. And it's really, uh, it's really frustrating. Yeah. And, and not to mention that 
like you are going to have a higher vaccination rate if you do it in schools. Like there's going to be a solid 10 to 20 percent of, of parents who will not get their kids vaccinated for whatever reason, whether it be they're too busy, they don't have the time off, they don't have the ability to travel to the clinic, they don't really feel confident in it. Uh, a lot of parents are afraid that their kids are just so afraid of needles that it it also scares them out of like just going through the hassle, which I mean, I know very well. I have a child who's quite afraid of needles. So I, like I live that. But it's like, this is so inefficient. And as you say, people are going to get rich off of the private delivery of these vaccines, even if there's also a very strong public delivery component through public clinics. So it sucks. It's not super surprising. I do want to mention, though, a couple things about the child vaccinations, if you are still concerned about that, because I do know, uh, I know that there's some parents out there who like feel guilty about giving their kids Tylenol, right? Like when you're a parent, especially of young kids, you're told everything not to do, and then you're always freaked out, and then you don't really, really like know what to do. I had the benefit, I guess, of having a child who was instantly ill and very, very ill, and I had no ability to say yes or no to medical interventions because I was unconscious. And so I learned really, really quickly how to like just like, you know, make informed decisions and put a little bit of trust in the system, um, which, you know, with all the caveats that the system can be brutal, like obviously. Um, but there are some things that we can put our trust in with the child vaccinations. So one is that, you know, the rate of myocarditis, so this heart inflammation that a lot of people who are on the anti-vax side are saying that the, the vaccinations cause. Um, it is true. There are some instances of myocarditis. They are far more frequent uh, for people who've had COVID. So actually, it's much more risky to get COVID and then get this heart inflammation than to get the vaccine and get the heart inflammation. So that's one thing. In fact, you know, the side effects are so minimal and we have such an incredible body of data. Like we've never had a body of data this big because of the adults, you know, and don't forget, children are just small adults. <laughs> like the physiology doesn't change when like, someone goes from the age of four to five, right? There's principles that are actually constant here. Um, it, the, the sad reality is that it's far more risky to drive to a vaccine clinic um, in your car and, and, and maybe risk getting hurt or killed in a car accident than, than getting these, these vaccines. So I really hope that if anyone is still feeling a little bit nervous, even if you've gotten the vaccine yourself, to remember that children are just, they're just small adults <laughs> and, they're, and they're not much more complicated than that. And I hope that you're feeling good about it and it's so good that you'll miss time from work to bring your kids to the shopper's drug mart to get their damn doses. <laughs> what is what a system? What a system. Okay, should we move on to uh, the atmospheric river? The main event. Oh, my God. So, Nora, I think it's important to start the conversation with what has happened in BC this year already. Over 500 people died this summer. Let's not forget that because of uh, this incredible heat wave, um, unprecedented heat wave that was concentrated uh, in British Columbia. And then there was like fires and then a drought. <laughs> And now an atmosphere, I've never even heard of that before, an atmospheric river. Um, something really terrible is happening. <laughs> it is the climate crisis. And so many people are being uh, negatively impacted. Uh, and from this, this atmospheric river that has caused such intense flooding that um, the city of Vancouver has been cut off from the rest of Canada. Uh, four people have died. 
uh, from this. And uh, a lot of that uh, has been concentrated um, the, the, uh, in the uh, Abbotsford, BC and around Abbotsford. Um, and this is just, you know, I'm just looking at the, the pictures in the news. It's just the devastation is really hard to, to understand, to comprehend. It's just, uh, for those of you who are listening, uh, from, from BC and have been impacted by this, I know there's impacts on the Island as well. If you're on Vancouver Island, all of this flooding, a lot of it, um, uh, some of the issues are coming from, um, flooding in the United States as well. Um, you know, solidarity with you folks as you're, as you're uh, dealing with this, but what the fuck can we say about the government in BC right now? And given that its policies are in fact making climate change or climate, the climate crisis worse. Mm-hmm. It's, we yeah, are in such a strange situation because like, you know, if the BC NDP and Justin Trudeau had in, in, enacted this radical climate policy regime that had the urgency attached to it that I think a lot of us feel, uh, these events probably would have still happened, right? There, there would have still likely have been um, the heat that we saw this summer, probably would have still seen the flooding because there's other factors as well. And these things are not just going to stop instantly, right? These are slow processes that we need to turn this giant ship around to try and give ourselves like, you know, some possibility of, of survival on the West Coast in Canada. Um, but it feels so much worse when you see what feels like or when you when you watch a government's basically perceived in action, I guess, um, and not just perceived in action, but like, like they don't seem to fucking get it. Like they don't really seem to see that this is a giant problem and, and they don't seem to get it based on a whole bunch of different uh, measures, right? One measure being making sure that pumping stations within the province, if you're trying to pump out where there was an ancient lake, uh, not even that ancient, like a not long ago lake, um, that the pumping uh, it, it, the pumping stations are up to code, up to date, well, fully, fully staffed, right? That's one thing that you've got to do. You have to make sure that your infrastructure is, is, is flood resistant to whatever extent you can make it flood resistant. Um, and then you have to stop things that will like enhance the likelihood of things like mudslides. Uh, that may include, I don't know, deforestation or, oh, like one of the pictures that a lot of people saw on social media was right beside the Trans Mountain Pipeline. And the construction of the pipeline has also, of course, resulted in, you know, doing damage to the land, right? So so you, you've got these competing situations happening at the same time. And then all of a sudden, a massive weather event comes, and not just the first one this past year, not even the first one this past six months. And it's like, whoa, 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 what is it going to take for the government to start like actually treating this seriously? And you think, okay, maybe this was it, maybe a massive flood. Okay. Death count has been pretty low. Thank God. Of course, we're hearing that there's been several deaths, but I don't, I'm not even sure the death tolls above 10 yet. Oh, oh no. They've just called the RCMP in to wet sow it and to clear protesters off the CJL coastal gas link. I don't know, Sandy, like if, if your house was on fire, like, do you think that you'd run out to the barn and just store all your gasoline there and then watch the house burn down? It just, it, it absolutely feels like this is a government that just doesn't get it. It just, like, we spoke months ago about how 
the the climate crisis, part of what we need governments to do and what we wanted to hear during an election campaign is what is your plan for mitigation in the interim? So, you know, things like if we're going to be experiencing extreme heat all the time, what is your plan to make sure that people have access to cooling centers or people have the right to, um, you know, the climate control in their homes like what what are you going to do if you if you know that there's going to be flooding if you know that there's going to be fires if you know that there's a risk of landslides what are you going to do to prevent those things and yes some of those measures that you will need to take to prevent those things or mitigate those things are going to be um uh significantly impactful on industry and if you are a socialist party that shouldn't matter so much to you you should be like cool we have another reason another justification for doing what we should want to do in the first place Mm -hmm. and to me i just you know like the devastation of this we're not going to know the impact for a while, I don't think, because, you know, uh, folks have been talking about the supply chain. Obviously, this doesn't help. But it, I'm like reading that hundreds of animals were killed, livestock, like that's going to have an impact on things. The What this is going to do to ecosystems, what that is then going to do to um, uh, the vegetation, what that is going to do to the insects. Like there's just, there's so much of a snowball effect that can come from this. It is absolutely stunning that the biggest action, one of the biggest actions that we've seen is let's get the RCMP in to attack people who are both trying to protect the land through protest and also people who are simply trying to witness people trying to protect the land through protest. How dare you? How could you? Yeah, it really puts in perspective um, all of those folks that were like, vote NDP. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, I got a, a message today from uh, someone who ran in the last election for them um, and who was like, wait, why Why has Jagmeet Singh not like condemned this directly? <laughs> like, what is going on? And, you know, this is this is a place where I think that, you know, you can see the very obvious limits of the NDP and why they are not not really what they say they are. I mean, if you're an activist, you know that very, very well. But of course, there's a lot of people that still have faith in the NDP to do the right thing. And you've got here John Horgan and you have a federal party that's, I mean, an opposition party, but Singh could be making comments that are much stronger. And they're just not going to. They just absolutely will not. And so, you know, I think back to the episode that we did after the debates and we were talking about the weakness of the responses that the all parties had, but the NDP as well, in, in that whole reconciliation section and specifically talking about the Indian Act and saying didn't actually have an answer to what the NDP would do with the Indian Act. And this is a very good example because the party literally – like is a colonial party. It's a colonial project. It needs colonization to continue to exist. 
And I don't think that we have enough conversations about that. And and often that's because there's just not enough examples of that because there are so many um, NDP activists and there are some really strong NDP um, members of provincial parliament, members of federal parliament who would condemn this like without the caveats that you might see coming from the leader's office. And so that's really, I think, quite frustrating for a lot of people. And obviously begs the question, like, what the fuck is the point of the NDP, like, at all? Like, if, if Horgan is just going to continue to do this, what is the actual fucking point? Uh, pivoting from that, though, I mean, this is a crisis. This is such an enormous crisis. And what I am very surprised by is that we haven't seen... I mean, maybe this has happened. So if you're if you're in BC and and you've seen something different, like please correct me. But I would have expected us to see Horgan on the news like two times per day uh, since talking about all the measures that they're trying to put in place while obviously things are still up in the air. And I, you know, I recognize that it takes time to come up with a disaster relief strategy, but part of disaster relief is also having a leadership team that is ready to say, we are sending people in here. We are doing this. We are asking for help for, 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 for civil engineers and construction personnel to, to start building back where we can, recognizing that waters haven't receded everywhere. Like it just seems like there is no urgency and, and all we've been left with is the 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 hollowness of the shock and that shock is like apparently what's supposed to bring us from the moment of the crisis until i'm not sure when until the water is receded and it's like okay well let's just build back like we like we have and i saw a lot of people online saying like whoa like maybe it's time for bc to get serious about like that next big one the the earthquake that is inevitable right that a lot of scientists have been watching and that we know really smoked the west coast probably in the 1700s at some point um yeah, yeah, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about making our economy and our buildings and our society uh, more weatherproof if we know that these kinds of things are going to get worse. Yeah, I mean all of that I you know, you know I just I, I'm just going to express what I imagine many people are feeling. It just it's just like Thank you, Nora, for saying the obvious thing. And here we are sitting, <laughs> watching um, all of this shit happen, you know, month after month after month after month, knowing what the obvious thing is to do, what the obvious steps are that you need to take. And seeing it not happen, I just, <laughs> it's just like, it is so enraging. It's so, so, so enraging. And at this point, I'm just like, uh, fuck it, you know, like, fuck government. Like, we, you know, you need to do what you can to protect what we've got because this is only going to get worse. And I'm, I really, I mean, we've, we've talked about unions a lot on this show and how much power they have that, um, is not being used. And like, I implore you, like, if you're listening and you're, you're someone in a union, like maybe think about getting folks together to see what you can do, um, concretely. Like, how can you intervene where the government is not intervening? How can you, you know, pull back on some of the conventions that you're having, put, pull some money together to come up with a program that you run that is going to take steps against some of this stuff, whether short term or long term. So whether you're, you're coming up with, with something to, to solve um, the, the issue of extreme heat that people are dealing with 
whether you're coming up with, I don't know, running instead of uh, the, the typical labor schools, figuring out how you can start another type of school that is going to train people into a green economy. Like literally just start doing that stuff because you can. You're some of the only institutions out there that could rival the government's ability to do something like that rival or actually do it right like like when i was able to go down to new york city to do hurricane relief after hurricane sandy i (laughs) i got to see what happens when um there's a total collapse in the structures that are supposed to exist for disaster relief right fema was not present in the first days after the massive storm that just smoked um, that whole area of the United States. And instead, like disaster relief was coordinated by other groups. I mean, I was down there through Occupy, but but there were groups tied to every kind of orientation of whatever you can imagine from religion to spirituality to sports groups to whatever. I mean, there's just so many people down there doing relief and everything was well coordinated. There was there were we were equipped. We were there to do like demolition, right? I've never done demolition and I was taught how to do it and given the tools to do it. And it was awesome. And I slept on someone's floor and it just showed me and I didn't actually have to go anywhere to eat. The food was everywhere. It was wild. It was really amazing. Like you just walk down like two steps and someone's handing you a hamburger that's like fresh. It was a really amazing example of the fact that like states are so invested in in hoping that nothing bad will happen that they have not done anything. They haven't mandated private building developers and owners to like take basic precautions in like earthquake structure management and making sure that, you know, there's air conditioning everywhere or whatever, right? Or, oh, the building's too old. Like, they can't be responsible for that. It's too expensive and all this kind of bullshit that has literally led to the deaths of people, um, especially as we saw in residential care in the last two years, both because of COVID and because of the extreme heat. And it's just like, no, no, no. Like, either the governments do it or civil society needs to come and do it itself. Um, But that civil society requires groups like, as you say, Sandy, like unions to step up and to actually do these things and not wait for the government to say yes or say no. I I don't know if labor's there right now. I think that labor is not (laughs) at all there right now. Um, But uh, labor has that opportunity to be there right now. And what is very interesting is seeing the national expressions of solidarity with Wet'suwet'en in a way that we haven't seen since February 2020, which was right before the pandemic started. So like the most uh, old timey uh, hearkening back to activism and civil disobedience that was stopped just because everything shut down in a flash in March 2020. And I am really, really excited to see that activism and to see that spirit, though I'm very, very, very depressed by the fact that this is even necessary, uh, especially in a province that's that's run by the NDP. Yeah, and I just want to read. I was looking up uh, what Horgan has said. Who? What? Um, Live fact checking. While you were talking about what has Horgan said, <laughs> um, and it seems it's it seems you're right. There hasn't been that that's that level of reporting um, that uh, reporting back from the government that you are saying should be happening. Um, I mean. It's not like we don't know how to do this, y'all. Like the pandemic, we were doing this all the time. Like this is 
just as emergent as a pandemic. <laughs> I want to be very clear. But um, this is what he said. Um, these are very ta- challenging times. I've been at this dais over the past two years now talking about challenging times we have faced unprecedented challenges with public health, wildfires, heat domes, and now debilitating floods that we have never seen before. For those who understand and recognize that these events are increasing in regularity because of the effects of human-caused climate change, there is hope, he continued, pointing to the province's plans to reduce carbon emissions sharply by 2030. We need to act now to make the changes in our community and in our economy that will protect us from these kinds of events in wh- the future. Wow. I mean, when he said there is hope, I thought he was talking about the community of hope, British Columbia, because I don't actually see, like, espoir, like, the hope. <laughs> you know what? This is, I mean, here's a fucking side rant. The obsession with people in power fucking insisting that there's hope. Like, go fuck yourself. Fuck, fuck you. You fucking want to talk about hope right now? There's much time to talk about hope. Christmas is a coming, the season of perpetual hope, okay, motherfuckers? You can talk about it then. There is no hope when the highway doesn't fucking work. <laughs> like, there's, you don't have to talk about hope. <laughs> you can talk about what you're doing. Well, that, that, and, like, I would be, well, I am furious at that last statement. We need to act now to make the changes in our community. and econ- We need to act. Motherfucker, you need to act now. Like you needed to act yesterday. What are you? Who is this? What are you talking about? Like who are you waiting on? When you were at at this podium saying, "Y'all, we need to act right now." Okay, tell us the plan. <laughs> You're the guy. You're the one. Sorry, like I, this way that politicians of late have been doing this. Like they talk as though they're the activists. You know what I mean? Like they talk as though mm-hmm. they're the people on the ground. People on the ground are like, we need to act now. And they're like, yes, we need to act now. <laughs> like, what the fuck, dude? Who the fuck do you think we're talking about? Are you waiting for somebody in industry to take action? Because that's what it seems like. And they're not going to because this shit benefits them. Just so we're clear. It's you. And if you're admitting to us through that statement that it's not you, well, get the fuck out of the way (laughs) holy shit yeah (laughs) what the fuck what the fuck we we i mean you know it's it's funny right because it's like like i I don't know what it's like to have my hands on the lever of action like i don't know what it's like to be able to go oh man the cops are arresting journalists in wet'suwet'en I'm going to pull down this lever and have them released, like rape the fuck now, you know, or pull down this lever and have the RCMP go the fuck home and tell Coastal Gaslink that, eh, you know what? So some shit's gone down in the southern part of this province. Not sure if you saw, but we got to cancel this project. Sorry, go, go, goodbye. Like it's not, this is not complicated stuff. And every single time that someone says that it's complicated or every single time that, that politicians divest their responsibility by using these kinds of weaseling words, we have to be like on them as much as we can be. And I think that, you know, I think that activists have been, I think the, the tremendous um, worry and uh, comments that I've seen, like indicate that that's where people are at. Um, Of course, when you're actually living through these crises, 
cities. You're living through trying to, you know, drive a distance that you can no longer drive because roads have been washed out. Like that's you're going to have a very different relationship with the immediacy of what needs to happen. And there's going to be mutual aid that that happens. Of course, then journalists are going to focus on that as some sort of fucking like, I don't know, surprise or something, which has also been very annoying in the last week. Like all these stories of people helping each other as if it's like not the fucking obvious thing to do. Like, (sighs) Oh, my God. Anyway, that that perhaps is a whole other story. I talk about how journalists talk about hope, the fucking current that I hate, the fucking <laughs> obsession that people have with. Wow. And then they helped each other. It's like, what? Did you expect them to fucking cannibalize each other? Like, we're, we're like, that's not where we're at. All right. Like, things are not yet there, but perhaps they will be. But yeah, 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 yeah. I mean... Uh, just a yes, Nora, perhaps they will be. I mean, think about the pandemic. Remember the feel good time? <laughs> the first few weeks, there was a feel good time there too. There was clapping for uh, health officials. There was really, really good feelings about coming together. How long did that last? Not long. Okay. <laughs> we need mm-hmm. more than just the good feelings, more than just the idea of, oh gosh, this is a really great story of someone helping somebody else. It's, it, sure, it's a great story. It's also a very mundane story. It's what happens when there's crisis. But the, the, where the real story is, is putting Horgan's feet to the fire and saying, why haven't you acted now? And putting feet, Horgan's feet to the fire and saying, why are you criminalizing people right. who yeah. are acting now? That's that's the great irony in this whole thing, right, is the folks like in the aftermath of this massive flooding event, of course, no corporate fucking heads of anything have been jailed. Um, They're just doing their jobs. And this is just like, you know, collateral damage of capitalism, which we have to live with because it has its goods and it has its bads. But you go and you block a pipeline, you build a tiny house on a on a path that a proposed pipeline is supposed to run through. And all of a sudden you become like enemy number one of the state. And. I think that this moment, I mean, it's it's hard to know because we've been here so many times before. Not the mass flooding event. That's obviously a new watermark, if I may say, of shitty things to happen. But what's happening in Wet'suwet'en has a long history behind it of similar kinds of resistances and similar examples of the RCMP or the Canadian Armed Forces coming into communities and arresting people and cracking heads. This has happened before. They're, they're very purpose. They're very it's purpose. why they exist. Um, and so while we have these forces who could be I don't know, cleaning roads right now. Like that seems like a probably a more useful job of all of the RCMP that are up in Wet'suwet'en that they could be fucking clearing roads and preparing for whatever mass construction can happen as soon as it can happen. Uh, they're not. They're up there and they're s- literally stopping the people who are trying to reverse the courses of the direction that we're in right now. Try to stop catastrophic climate change that is caused by these massive energy projects and the waste that they produce. What I do have some, I'm going to choose my words carefully because I was going to say hope. I'm not going to say hope. What is interesting to me (laughs) is that journalists all of a sudden are paying attention in a way that they were not paying exact attention to back in February 2020, although, of course, there was a lot of attention. Um, And that's because two journalists have been arrested and have been detained. Now, by the time you're listening to this, it's possible that that Horgan did pull that lever and they're out of jail, um, though it's also possible they're still detained. Um, but Sandy, don't you remember, like, I don't remember, how when was this? There was, like, something where the Canadian Association of Journalists was, like, calling on more policing as a solution to something. 
This is awkward, isn't it, Canadian Association of Journalists? Because <laughs> you can't call for the police on the one hand to protect the journalists if the police are now attacking your journalists. Yeah, this is rough for y'all. This must uh, this must have really confused those of you in the communications department as to how to make this make sense, make this congruent with what you have said in the past. Hmm. It's actually very clear that you had trouble with it because the statement sucks. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Uh, it it could have gone harder. Uh, I mean, the f- first statement that they put out when it was clear that the RCMP. I mean, it, you know, there there were all of these images of the RCMP uh, being deployed on the ground. Uh, was what included. I'd like to, so this is a quote from the president of the the Canadian Association of Journalists. I'd like to emphasize that all journalists who are arriving on site have no intention of interfering with the work of the RCMP in any way. What? Sorry, that's what it said? I didn't hear that. Yeah, imagine saying that. Canadian law protects the ability of journalists to access and report on any matter of the public interest in it, as it is essential to the proper functioning of democracy. It is my sincere hope that journalists will be allowed to do their work in accordance with the law. What is with the obsession with the law? Like, I, like why the fuck would a journalist give a rat's ass about the law? I mean, I know that I'm the journalist on the show and I should fucking have an answer to that, but... <laughs> What? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. No, I mean it. It's a it's a pretty weird and weak statement to say. You, you see that the RCMP is being deployed, and then you say, "Hey, p- please, please, please let our journalists be journalists." <laughs> like that's wh- why would you have to? You must know something about the RCMP if you feel like you got to put that out there. And if you know that thing about the RCMP that makes you feel like that sort of a statement is necessary, your statement needs to go harder. Mm-hmm. Your statement needs to go harder. And you shouldn't be calling on the RCMP or any other sort of police to protect journalists. Because what we know is that the police are not going to protect journalists any more than they protect Anyone the fuck else except for the wealthiest, the richest, the you know, the way that society works, that, that that's what they do. They protect the way society works. Which is actually the answer as well, is that those are the journalists they protect. Right. And so if the, the, the CAJ has to decide which journalists uh, are members of that organization, uh, are they there to protect the journalists who actively fight to ensure Canada's status quo remains in place, which means actively ensuring that the police are never questioned, that we're OK with all of the weird, weaselly words that come out of police uh, press statements um, and all of the bullshit that government kind of shovels upon our heads? Or are they actually going to say, wait a minute, this is all bullshit? And, you know, the arrests of Amber Bracken and Michael Toledano has to be condemned and their release has to be called for. But there are a lot of fucking people whose releases need to be called for as well. And this like privileged location that journalists have to to operate within the law, it's like, give me a fucking break. The second that things start to get fucked up more than they are today, journalists are going to be in a far worse position than they already are. Up until this moment, like in Canada, for journalists, a much easier way to get rid of journalists or to silence them is to just 
marginalize them. And we see that all the time. And when you have to go further than marginalizing them, you have to arrest them. Uh, you have to harass them. And like in like when with with police doing that, it indicates that we're entering into a new phase of the way that police see journalists. And I'm encouraged by this phase because journalists should not be seen as allies of police. They should be seen as, you know, critics of power. And of course, that is going to include the police. But let us also not fall into the trap that fucking one says that the only legitimate journalism is journalism that is legal. I mean, fuck that. A ton of stuff can be made illegal overnight and we will still need journalists to do that kind of work. And number two, sorry, journalists, but you're not more important than the fucking people actually defending the land. (laughs) Like you're there to document it. You're there to promote it. You're you're not promote it, but to like to promote it as in tell people what's going on. Uh, And you're you're there to publicize. That's the word I'm really looking for. But the people who are defending the land, like they also have a completely legitimate, absolute necessary right to be there. And the police shouldn't be cracking heads at all. Like the police shouldn't fucking be there at all. And to assume that this is something that would naturally have a side of protesters and a side of police and then journalists are from the sidelines going, hmm, very nice. I will be writing about this in a neutral way. I mean, that's completely fucking fiction. And journalists need to understand that in a very fundamental way such that they're not writing mealy mouth fucking statements like the one that you just read. For those of you who are like looking, thinking to yourself, what can I do right now? Um, There are uh, some solidarity calls for uh, the two journalists who have been arrested. So please look into that. There are also a lot of solidarity calls to support uh, the protesters at Witsowden. So please also look into that. And then we, I think just collectively, this is not just a BC thing, just collectively need to uh, make sure that our government feels the fucking heat, whether that's John Horgan or Justin Trudeau, they're all a part of this. They need to feel the fucking heat. You don't get to say we need to act now without acting now. You don't get to fucking do that. We are in the midst of another fucking crisis it's been crisis after crisis and i know we're like (laughs) i don't know fucking becoming accustomed to crises that's not right like that's not the way that we should be be living right now and a lot of um the blame as to how this hasn't been mitigated how this has happened like the the blame for who allowed this to continue to get this bad we know where that lies and so we have to turn our ire there at the same time that we're doing everything that we can because we can't fucking rely on them. We know this. 